Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast. It's Friday, and that means it's time for another great conversation about agile marketing, a combination of the two. Before we meet our guest today, Roland, how are things? Great. I love that we record this podcast on Friday because I know the week is almost over. It's excellent, isn't it? Now, you've been on the road this week. You were out in Vegas. I was at Oracle's Modern Marketing Experience, and I had the, the privilege of actually presenting on Agile Marketing and was pleasantly surprised to find that people were really excited about the topic, despite... Why so much surprise, right? There's so much momentum right now. There is so much momentum right now, but... You know, it's just nice to see people come out for it. It's it's one thing to be talking about it with people online. It's another p- thing to have a bunch of people show up in a room yep. and ask lots of questions and be excited about it. So it was a good time. Well, I was in Austin this week at an open source conference. It's called OpenStack Summit. And it's a, for my day job selling open source software to big companies. But I learned a really important lesson about Agile for marketing this week, which was if you miss your forecast on T-shirts – you can't, you can't make it up with Agile. <laughs> nope. We, we had the hottest tie-dye shirt in the show, and people were pretty thrilled. And we spent three days after we burned through our 200 shirts uh, making up for it. So we'll make up for it with a little bit of Agile next week. And hey, maybe there's, a follow, maybe there's a follow-up campaign there, you know? Oh, absolutely. There's a follow-up campaign there. Definitely, definitely. Well, unfortunately, it's, you know, last time I did, uh, we were in Tokyo and I did uh, superhero Power Ranger kinds of stickers and those just didn't go over that well. So who knew tie-dye was going to be such a such a big hit? But I guess it is. You know, we joke, the open source developers, uh, one of the developers came by the booth and said, this is awesome. I get to update my wardrobe every six months with swag t-shirts from the trade show. There you go. There's the life of an agile marketer in a venture-funded software startup. So anyways, today's guest, pretty awesome. I'll let Roland do the intro, but we had, last had this guest. I'll give our listeners a hint in July of 2012. So needless to say, I'm pretty excited. It's a guy I know somewhat well and have talked to on many occasions. You want to kick it off, Roland? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our guest today is Jim Ewell. So Jim's a agile growth expert um, guy. He's been writing a lot about agile for a long time. He does that at a great site called agilemarketing.net. And his background is, he's got an amazing background. He's um, led marketing or- organizations. He's also served as the CEO of a couple companies. So really broad range of experience. I'm excited to have him on the show. I actually met Jim while working on my book, The Agile Marketer, and he helped me sort of refine some of the ideas there and supported that project. So I'm excited to talk to him. Let's dial him in. Jim. Hey, guys. How are you? Fine. How are you? Living the dream, I think. Or <laughs> dream, dreaming about the life. One of those two. I could never figure that out. You know, I saw your uh, little, I don't know what they call it. It's not a subtitle, but anyways, in your description on Skype, uh, it said, I fell from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was just That's hilarious. That's a <laughs> reference to a, a song from the late 80s. Um, yeah, it's David Lo- Bowie's song, isn't it? Or, uh, hmm. Love Removal Machine is the song. I don't know if you catch the oh, reference. I don't know that one. Huh. I'll, have to, you'll, I'll have to send you a link to it. It's a classic. I played in a cover band when I was in college, and that was one of our songs. So some reason, I, was, I bumped into it on Spotify and, and uh, had to put it in there because it just kind of captured the moment. I'm glad we're <laughs> kicking off with a conversation about music because Jim and I have been exchanging for the past few months 
interesting new musical things that we come across. So that's one of the yeah. ways that we stay in touch. Maybe maybe as in the notes, uh, Jim, we can share maybe your your latest top five just for fun. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> you probably should have warned me about that. I, I don't know if I can come up with that off the top of my head. But anyways, uh, yeah, uh, Roland and I have definitely... Uh, shared a lot of good music. He, he's, uh, Roland, you're a little younger than I am. And, and particularly that last video you shared with me, I felt like uh, that was good for me. You know, <laughs> it was good for me to see some of, uh, you know, uh, very different things than what I traditionally listen to. So uh, I enjoyed it. Trying to push the envelope. We can do it in the show notes. So you, you can have some time to think about it. Oh, good. That would be that'd be great. Super. So July 2012, Jim, it's been almost four years. Wow. Hard to believe. I think I think some things have changed since then. You think? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Harvard Business Review writes about Agile. Most of the yeah. major consulting firms write about Agile. Yeah. Yeah. You look at uh, Google Trends and uh, Agile marketing is... It's just climbing up there. Um, I know I've seen it in my own blog. Uh, I think since 2012, I think the number of subscribers on on my blog is probably about tripled. And and uh, it's not like I've done you know huge promotion on it. It's just the, the interest level is, is is tremendous. Yeah. In the last episode, we actually talked about with somebody who was focused on lean marketing. And one of the things that I'm I shared in the show notes there was the Google Trends graph of the term lean marketing versus agile marketing. And what's interesting is that lean was a little bit ahead for a while, but now agile appears to have crossed over and is taking the lead. So, <laughs> you know, for a while I, I owned the domain leanmarketing.com and I actually did a little blogging over there on that uh, site, um, but I never really fully developed it and uh, kind of decided that uh, I like the term agile marketing better. So I stuck with it. Sounds like you picked the right horse. I, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good segue into uh, into some of our first bits of discussion here. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about a topic that, to be frank, has come up a couple times in our most recent conversations, which is how do user stories work in the context of agile marketing? Because it's pretty different than a user story in the software context. Yeah, it is different. And uh, this comes up every time that I teach a class in, in agile marketing. And it's one of the things that I spend the most time on because I, I want people to really understand how to write a good agile marketing user story. Um, it's fairly straightforward what user stories are, right? I mean, you know, they're a high level description of what a user is trying to get done and really why, you know, what's the outcome that they're, uh, they're seeking. You know, you've got the, what I refer to as the canonical form. As a, a particular role or persona, I want to do some task, okay, so that I can achieve a certain goal or, or get a certain benefit or something like that. And um, that's fairly straightforward. And I don't think that differs between story user stories for developers versus user stories for, for marketers. But when you start getting into the details of that, that's when I think it, it starts to differ a little. And I also think that that's where some of the learning takes place of what a good user story is, okay? So let me just dive into that a little bit. 
as a role, I want to you know do something. So uh, oftentimes, when I teach people about user stories, one of the very first user stories that that I'll get, which is a a, a user story that well, it's it's not the right way to write to write them, okay? But somebody will write a, a user story that'll read something like this: As a marketer, I want to create and deliver a webinar so that I can gather leads for our sales force, right? Okay, so if you think about that user story, what's wrong with it is, first of all, they're saying as a marketer, that's the role that they're attributing there. Okay, and I think that defeats the whole purpose. Okay, one of the whole purposes of the user story is to get inside of the head of the real user, and you, the marketer, are not the real user. Okay, so I, I just don't let people write user stories that begin with. As a marketer here at my company, I want to do this. Okay, I, I just insist that they cannot do that. All right, if they want to do something like that, I want to understand who is, you know, the real user. The second thing that they'll do on that role piece is that they will start off by saying, as a, and I'll use some very general category like as a prospect. I want to do this or that or that or the other. Again, I insist that they get more specific than that. You know, what kind of prospect? Are you talking about a technical buyer? Are you talking about a financial buyer? Are you talking about somebody who's going to administer the system but not use it? Are you talking about an end user? I think it's really important to get as specific as possible in that persona or in that role, okay? People ask me, well, how specific should I get? How much should I, I get there, okay? And, uh, you know, not in the user story, but in a separate persona document, I say get as specific as possible, you know? Learn as much as you can about the people who are interacting with you as, as, as buyers. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the most important things that, uh, you know, you need to do is to really get specific about that role. What do you guys think? Yeah, so I think um, personas are something that we definitely talk a lot about. It's something that I've done in my own work. We've we've built personas. I've blogged about that in the past. Um, I, one thing that I do hear coming up a, a lot these days, though, is folks who are doing more account-based marketing. And I think mm -hmm. for for them, they don't naturally necessarily connect the how do personas work in the context of account-based marketing. I, I actually think it's okay, and, and there's a pretty clear fit. But I think that trips some folks that I have spoken with up a little bit. I think that you can do some of that in the context of account-based marketing. But I guess I have a little bit of a hard time with that because accounts don't interact with specific things. I mean, people do. And, and I mean, I do think that there is a place for you know, account-based marketing as opposed to lead-based marketing and understanding sort of the, the, the entirety of, you know, what's going on at the account and being able to uh, to do that. But I, I don't know how to write a user story for an account as opposed well, I, to I think a that's person. it. I think that basically they tend to focus, overly focus on the account and, re and overlook the fact that it's still personas. They just yeah. happen to be at a specific account. Exactly. Yeah, I always kind of, when I get into the account-based marketing model, I, I always think of it as a tactic rather than a strategy in some ways. I know that it's a market approach that some companies take, but it always feels much, much closer to 
sales enablement than it feels like pure marketing in the sense that you're talking about, Jim. I think that's right. I mean, I do think that that marketing is 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 more and more almost encroaching on and and helping with you know sales in a way that there isn't. Five or six years ago, we had a very clear handoff where we handed off a sales qualified lead, you know, to sales. And that was pretty much the the end of things. You know, I mean, they did what they were going to do with it. And and we kind of thought of our job as being done once we handed them a, a sales qualified lead. What I'm seeing now in, in organizations that I'm working with, and I, I certainly saw this in my last company, is that marketing needed to go beyond that. Marketing really needed to think about the different stages of the sales cycle and to be aligned with sales in terms of what we were telling the customer and what we were, we, we were doing in the accounts and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I, I do think there's a, there's, there's more and more overlap between what marketing is doing and what sales is doing. There's certainly a delicate balance between what, what sales needs kind of end of the funnel kind of stuff versus what marketing, I guess as a marketer, I wish I had more time to work on the, the front end of the funnel. Getting back to user stories, I mean, I got a little bit down into into this, but getting back into to user stories, if, uh, if you don't mind, I, a, another thing that I focus on uh, with people is is not getting too specific on how you satisfy the user story. Um, it's it's a little bit what the the developers call being negotiable. When a developer writes, when you write a user story for a developer, you don't tell the, the developer, okay, as a role, I want this thing in Ruby on Rails, or I want this thing in Java. Or, you, know, you don't tell them, you know, the specifics about how you want them to deliver it from a technical point of view. I mean, there, there has to be some parts in there that are negotiable. One of the things that I see in, with marketers is they have a tendency to say, as a persona, I want to deliver a webinar or I want to deliver a, and, and they kind of get down into the specifics of of how that is going to be delivered. And I, honestly, I don't think that's the right place uh, for that. I, I, I think that user stories can be satisfied you know, a number of different forms. I mean, maybe some people want a webinar. Other people want a white paper. Other people, you know, want a video. I mean, I, I don't think it's best to write the user story specifying what's the medium or what's the delivery vehicle. What's the tactic, uh, what, yeah. Yeah, what's the tactic, exactly, okay? So I, I, I tend to coach people to stay away from that level of you know specificity so that does that does kind of beg the question another thing that comes up a bunch is what level should you write the user story at and in, in other words how granular should it be and then how do you organize those more granular user stories into epics so part of what i i think i hear you saying is that like a user has a has some kind of goal about learning about maybe the specifics of some product or service and you could satisfy that, as you said, with a webinar or a video or a white paper or so on. Is that the epic or and, yeah. and are there underlying user stories there? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question, Roland. So I actually like to start with the epics and then break them down into chunks that you could actually implement, okay? Rather than sort of the other way around, which is to take 
a bunch of stories and, and say, well, those have something in common and we're going to put those together. I, I, I tend to think of those as themes, not epics. OK, so let me let me give you an example. It's maybe the easiest way to to um, to, to talk about it. Right. So let's say that I want to I, I have a user story that says as a manager of demand generation, I want to understand not only the basics of marketing automation, but I want to understand the advanced parts of automation so that I can be perceived as the expert in my company on, you know, marketing automation. Let's just say that's a, it's a very general user story. All right. I tend to think of that as an epic. It's not, it's not all that specific. Okay. But it is something that we, we do find that our, our buyers want to do. Now I need to break that down into very specific stories that can be implemented. Right. Uh, so maybe, you know, the, the, the first user story is I want to understand the basics. And then the second is I want to understand the advanced topic of segmentation so that I can do this or, you know, whatever it is. But I tend to start with the epics. What, what, it, what is it that somebody is trying to accomplish in the big scope and then break those down into uh, stories that have that can be implemented in a single sprint? That's great. Yeah. So last week or a couple weeks ago, rather, we spoke with um, Sean Zinsmeister, um, who's over at Infer. And one yeah. of the things that came up in that conversation was the o Google's um, OKR framework, the Objective and Key Results framework. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with that framework, but a lot of your comments are making me think that what you're describing as an epic kind of fits with an objective in the OKR framework. I'm not familiar with the with the framework, but I mean, it okay. sounds like it from what you're you're describing. I don't know, just the word itself. I mean, I could have kind of a high level objective and then, you know, sub objectives or or, you know, sub parts of that. I don't know, it would be sort of the way I, I would think about it. I well, think for for Sean, the the objective, this idea of the objective ties back to these high level strategic goals. So how do you right. make sure that your stories and epics tie into the, you know, the top strategic goals that the company cares about this quarter. Yep. Yeah, and I guess that comes back to strategy. I, I know I'm going to belabor the point around parts of the sales cycle and where people are because I think it's, I guess, always the challenge that we face as marketers of trying to do, you know, the front of the funnel versus the back of the funnel. I mean, I constantly, I, my head of sales and my current gig is a really enlightened guy but he has needs versus the what we think we we think are the right things to do on marketing i mean what kind of what kind of conversations do you have people about trying to balance the kind of front of the funnel epics with the back of the funnel ones you know frank i i, I don't quite distinguish it in that way and maybe it's just a, a difference i i do talk about the difference between trying to understand, and maybe this is what you're getting at, uh, sort of the our, our end users' needs versus our sales force needs. Right. right? So I, I will tell people it's not okay to say, as a marketer, I need this, this. I will say it is okay to say, as a salesperson, I want this so that I can reach this goal or or um, or whatever. So I, I, I think it is okay to do user stories that are around um, the needs of, of your sales force. 
I, I do think there's a balance there, and I certainly wouldn't recommend that you have any more than you know, 50% of your user stories be Salesforce oriented. And, and in fact, if it were up to me, it'd probably be, you know, 75, 25, or 80, 20. I mean, yeah. I really want to understand that end user and, and what their needs are and what they're trying to accomplish and so forth. Because I think that translates into, and it should be in alignment with what the salesperson is trying to do, right? So I've got a good one for you, Jim. As a salesperson, I have this one really important customer who needs this data sheet by the end of the week, we're going to lose this deal. <laughs> I'm sure we've all been down that road. Um, I'm, 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 I'm joking about it, but I know you've been a CEO of a company. You've been down that road, and that it's, it's. I guess it's hard sometimes. The urgency of trying to and look. I'm in a venture funded startup. It's, it's every deal is crucial at this point, and it's trying to balance the one versus the benefits of the one versus the benefits of the many. And in a perfect world, you're right. It'd be 75% connecting to our persona and writing the user stories, and 25%. But that insatiable hunger, that endless demand for, for enablement content and things that help the sales guy push it over the goal line, it's hard. I don't know. Maybe I find it hard to balance those two because on the one hand, I want to be thinking of the future. On the other hand, look, we've got a business to grow and we've got numbers to make. But in theory, Frank, don't you do you bring that, that salesperson to your backlog and basically say, hey, we could do that, but we can't not talk about all this other stuff that we're going to be pushing back and then have the, the, the merit-based conversation about, do you really want that right now? And here's what it's going to cost next week and next month. And the answer is yes. <laughs> it becomes the answer is yes. And it's, it's the classic hard conversation that you have as a, with scarce resources in a, a small company. I'm just, I'm, exaggerating, obviously, because I'm fortunate my current role, my head of sales, I can have that conversation with him. He's a pretty thoughtful guy and he gets the, he sees the big picture, but I've been in places where the, quite the opposite is true. And it's a stereotypical sales guy whose attention span is that of a housefly. I've been down that road too. And this process doesn't work. <laughs> well, yes. it, it, it doesn't, Frank. And uh, I think as marketers, you know, we have ways to go to to, in a sense, train our audience, you know, salespeople, the, the you know, executives, CEOs, whatever, that, you know, there, there's there's no free lunch, right? You can't just say, I yeah, I want them both, okay? I, I want this thing here, and I don't want you to drop anything that you're already doing, okay? It, it, it nobody expects developers in, uh, anymore at least very few people and uh, expect developers anymore to um, you know not have some kind of trade-offs in terms right. of you you can get quality or you can get it on a particular date or you know use certain resources you know the whole three-legged stool thing developers have trained their audience to understand that and that there's no free lunch they're not going to get you know, super high quality with no resources in a in a in a nanosecond. Okay, that just ain't gonna happen. All right, uh, and I, honestly, I think as marketers, we got to do the same thing. We got to train our audience that that there is no free lunch like that. We cannot just do both, as they put it. You know, something has to drop off if you want to add that other thing. I so, love that. I love that articulation. I mean, I think. <laughs> I, I haven't heard it expressed that way, but I think that that's spot on, especially based on how much we're sort of taking from 
from the developer's playbook, right? This is just another way that we're sort of um, interpreting some of what they've done. So that's super helpful from my perspective. I am curious just to get back to user stories for one second. Yeah. Um, and, and then I know that we're running out of time. So you talked a little bit about epics, breaking those things down into you know the, the specific underlying user stories and tasks. Can you speak to how you manage the process of like grooming your backlog? Do you, do you call it that, that you're grooming the backlog? Is that part of what the breakdown is? And, and how much are you actually scoping the user stories? Because one thing that we hear a lot is that marketers are not very good at actually estimating scope associated with user stories. What I do is I tell people that there is an extra meeting that is beyond what, you know, if you look at the, the standard scrum process, right, you have the sprint planning meeting, you have the daily scrum, you have the sprint review, you have the sprint re retrospective. I tell people there's another meeting that is important to have, okay? And uh, that's basically the backlog grooming uh, meeting, okay? And it happens before the sprint planning meeting, like if you're going to have that on a Monday, have this other meeting on a Friday, whatever. But you have a subset, usually, you know, director or the VP of marketing or whatever, sit down with the backlog and, you know, really go through it and say, what are the ones that are most likely to be ones that we're going to address in, in the next uh, sprint? What are the ones that they, they've been in our backlog for six months now and they've never made it into a sprint? Let's just you know, archive those. Uh, and then also trying to get, for those ones that you think are gonna be in the sprint, try to get it, it enough specifics so that you can have the conversation uh, during the sprint planning meeting of what really is the scope um, for this, okay? You know, I think that's actually one of the most important things in the sprint planning meeting. It's not just selecting which user stories uh, are going to go into that particular sprint, but it's also really trying to understand what are we trying to accomplish here? What, what, you know, let's get a little more detail here. What is, what is uh, success going to look like? What's the acceptance criteria? You know, if you can start thinking about what is success going to look like, what's the acceptance criteria? I, I think that tends to help people scope what it, what it is, okay, yeah. um, that they're trying to do, okay? The one other thing that it has been useful for developers, and I don't see many marketing teams do this, but I kind of wonder why sometimes, is uh, the old sprint poker analogy. Um, yeah. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. With there, the cards. Where, yeah, with the cards. Yeah, yeah, with the cards, where, you know, you get you get four people who say, okay, this is a three-point task and one guy who says it's a 12 point task. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's actually interesting to ask the guy who, who said it's a 12 point task, you know, why did you think it's a 12 point task? And generally he'll say, because I think we need to do this, 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 and that. And his scope of what you're trying to do is much larger than everybody who said it was a three point task. Okay. And then you have to argue, well, is that the right scope or is it not? And, and that sort of thing. But that's developers do that all the time. And I, I think as marketers, we probably yeah. should. Although, you know, well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I have that same observation. I've probably interviewed interviewed or talked with close to 100 people who are practicing agile in marketing, and I've talked to exactly two who pull out the cards. <laughs> so yes. uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. I have to say, I mean, my team, we do size things, but we use very in, imprecise number of hours we think it's going to take on a task, which is maybe more yep. what OpenView Labs, I know they do it that way. And and it works for us. I mean, we've got increased each sprint, we get a little bit better at it. And 
it's imperfect, but uh, nothing's perfect. Well, Jim, unfortunately, we could probably talk for three or four hours if we kept rolling. <laughs> um, we try to keep the podcast in the sort of 20 to 30 minute range so people can get excited. We've we got to bring you back on in the not too distant future because there's too many too many things to talk about. Just one thing we like to do, as you probably from past lives, is there anything that you wanted to plug, share with the, our listeners of what's going on in your life and what you're, what's coming up for you? Uh, well, I, I do have some trainings coming up. I, I can't comment about the particular uh, organizations that I'm doing, but uh, I, I am doing a training uh, down in the Bay Area uh, in May. Uh, I'm excited Great. about that. I'm also trying to put together a, a course, okay, that I'm going to deliver via video. And Great. so I'll be putting something on my uh, blog, hopefully over the weekend, uh, with the outline of that course. So I'd love to get some feedback uh, from people sure. uh, about well, the outline of this course. We could, we could put, put a link to it in our show notes so people can people can have an opportunity to do that. Well, Jim, thanks again for joining us. Again, for all the people out there listening, we are on iTunes. You can leave us a review, leave us a comment, tell us how much you love us, tell us how much you enjoyed our charming, witty banter. You can also, if you have a story to tell, we are talking to people. Amazingly, the schedule is booked three, four, five weeks out. It was amazed how far we are. I know. Finally, we're getting some getting some momentum going, which is awesome. If you have a story to tell, you can reach me at Tangy Slice. Yes, the gangster rapper turned VP of marketing at a software company. Or at R Smartly. Thank you again for joining us today, and please stay agile.